there are now 60 days until the end of 2023, and today is marked by the Day of the Dead, or All Souls Day. Perhaps, but not at all related, November 2nd is also National Deviled Egg Day. This is Charlottesville Community Engagement, a newsletter that celebrates Traffic Directors Day for all the work that goes into putting out information to the public. I'm Sean Tubbs, and I can mark off the creation of this introductory paragraph as it is also Project Management Day. On today's program, Charlottesville will spend $5.9 million to purchase floodplain land that had been slated for 245 apartment units. Construction begins this week to build a block of sidewalk on East High Street in Charlottesville. Albemarle County has once again been awarded a AAA bond rating by the three major agencies. Albemarle and Charlottesville officials on a regional transportation body get an update on the Regional Transit Governance Study. And Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville recently dedicated two homes on Coleman Street to families who went through their home ownership program. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, one Patreon supporter wants you to know that Charlottesville now has an e-bike lending library. E-bikes are a great way to get around the community, but there are many brands and styles to choose from. Because many e-bikes are sold online, it can be a challenge to try an e-bike before buying one. The Charlottesville e-bike lending library is a free, not-for-profit service working to expand access to e-bikes in the area. They have a small collection of the vehicles that they lend out to community members for up to a week for free. You can experience your daily commute, go grocery shopping, or even bike your kids to school and decide whether e-bikes are right for you. Check out the service at ebikelibraryseville.org. The city of Charlottesville is set to spend $5.9 million to buy land from developer Wendell Wood along the Rivanna River, ending a plan to build 245 apartment units on land within the floodplain. Here's a staff report for a resolution on Council's November 6th agenda. In light of the location of the property in an environmentally sensitive area and the city's need for additional passive recreation areas, city staff entered into discussions with the developer to acquire the property for passive recreation. Though they did not own the nearly two dozen acres of land, Seven Development submitted a plan to the city's Department of Neighborhood Development Services in the fall of 22 that would have seen three multi-story buildings constructed on fill dirt imported to the site in order to raise the elevation. The company had entered into a contract with Woods Southern Ventures, Inc. to buy the land upon receipt of site plan approval. In September, Charlottesville City Council upheld a decision by the Charlottesville Planning Commission that found that roadways constructed to support the project would not be consistent with the city's comprehensive plan. The work for the city to acquire the property dates back to this February, when council agreed to commission an appraisal of the land. While that work was conducted, civil engineers working for Seven Development continued to submit new site plans to address previous denials. 
According to the resolution, a firm called Riverside Multifamily will be assigned the right to purchase the land from Seven Development. Riverside will be assigned a fee for its work in conveying the land to the city. In addition to the assignment contract, there is a document called a Mutual Release of Claims, which ends any potential legal action that may have arisen. Seven Development could have appealed council's decision in court, but that avenue will be closed. The funding will come from the city's Capital Improvement Program Contingency Program, and as I said, that will be on council's agenda for November 6th. For many years, there have been calls for Charlottesville to improve infrastructure on the northeastern portion of East High Street, a major connection between the city and eastern Albemarle County. Last October, a cyclist was struck by an aggressive motorist, as reported by CBS 19 and the Charlottesville Daily Progress. A year later, and the city is moving forward with a plan to add a sidewalk where one currently does not exist. Here's a section from an email sent to nearby property owners. The city is working with Linco Incorporated to build a new portion of public sidewalk in front of the AT&T building at 1430 East High Street. We are planning for this work to begin on October 30th, and it should take about three weeks to complete. The cost of construction is about $50,000, according to City Communications Director Afton Schneider. The funding comes from the Safe Routes to School account. The actual start time has been a couple of days later. This morning, a notice went out stating that the existing sidewalks near this location will be closed through November 17th. Work will take place during the day, and one lane will be open at all times. Workers with flags will control traffic flow. In these days of higher interest rates for capital financing, every advantage helps as growing localities seek to build new schools and other items desired by an increasing population. This week, Albemarle officials announced that they've once again attained a AAA bond rating, which will keep the county's borrowing costs lower. Moody's Investors, S&P Global, and Fitch ratings have all affirmed the top score. Here is Supervisor Chair Donna Price at Wednesday's meeting of the Board of Supervisors. There are about 3,400 counties in the United States. Fewer than 50 have a triple AAA bond rating. That's like having the highest credit score for all three of the ratings for your personal credit. Last week, Albemarle issued $109.3 million in public facility and revenue bonds, as well as $58.9 million in taxable bonds to cover the cost of the purchase of 462 acres of land near Rivanna Station. Here's a section from a press release sent out this week. The public facility revenue bonds will finance approved capital projects, including reimbursements for the recent Mountain View and Crozet Elementary Schools additions, school division-wide maintenance and improvement projects, fire rescue apparatus replacements, and the ongoing courts facility construction. According to the release, Albemarle County is the only one of 11 counties in Virginia to receive this distinction.
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement goes out to Camp Albemarle, which has for over 60 years been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a civilian conservation corps project that seeks to promote the importance of rural activities. Are you looking to escape and reconnect with nature? Consider holding an event where the natural beauty of the grounds will provide a venue to suit your needs. Visit their website at campalbemarle.org to view the gallery and learn more. Two more stories to go today. On Wednesday, the Albemarle Board of Supervisors got an update from the Regional Transit Governance Study, as well as a review of what the county gets from its transit investment from the Texas Transportation Institute. I'll have more from that in the future. A week earlier, the Policy Board of the Charlottesville Albemarle Metropolitan Planning Organization had its own update on a five-phase plan for the study, which is intended to create a pathway to implement the expansion of public transportation called for in something called the Regional Transit Vision. Lucinda Shannon is a transportation planner with the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. We are heading into uh, phase four, and then phase five will be recommendations. So we're looking at governance options at the moment. Phase three covered potential revenue sources that could be drawn down from a potential regional transportation authority. All of the localities in the TJPDC would be invited to join. Shannon offered two budget figures to work toward for planning purposes. For the vision plan, we worked on the assumption of a constrained budget, which would cost about $35 million, and an unconstrained budget, which which, um, totaled up to about $85 million. Shannon said both Charlottesville Area Transit and Jaunt bring in about $9 million a year in federal and state revenues. That would leave about $18 million to raise through other sources for that constrained vision. That could involve greater funding from each locality's general fund, a greater share of the lodging tax from each locality, or a share of the personal property tax. In one theoretical example, a 0.7% increase in the sales tax across the region could yield as much as $36.6 million in fiscal year 2025. However, the General Assembly would need to approve a referendum to allow voters to decide if they wanted to increase the sales tax. Former Delegate David Toscano introduced a bill for this purpose in 2009, but it failed to make it out of committee. Shannon said the plan's steering committee is continuing to go through this work. The technical memo produced for Phase 3 does not include any information about funding from the University of Virginia. City Councilor Brian Pinkston said he thought UVA President Jim Ryan's Council on UVA Community Partnerships should be involved with an eye toward revenue. But I I just think that this is one of those kind of more blue sky kind of, um, you know, higher level vision type things where you could have a real alignment between what that committee is willing to do and what we all need, need the university to do. The University of Virginia is budgeted to contribute $84,900 to Charlottesville Area Transit in the current fiscal year, according to a chart developed by the Texas Transportation Institute. The governance study will be completed by the end of the year, and I'll have the 
Story from the Albemarle Board of Supervisors coming up in a future edition of the newsletter. Most of the words written about affordable housing in this newsletter are heavy on policy and light on the people whose lives will be transformed if they're not cost-burdened by housing. On October 21st, Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville dedicated two homes on Coleman Street in the city's Locust Grove neighborhood. Me and my husband, we grew up in a refugee camp. We never thought, like, in our life we would have a place to call home at all. That's Ramo Muhammad. She and her husband paid $349,900 for one half of a single-family detached structure built by Habitat within the last year on Coleman Street. That's about 19% below the assessed value of $431,900. Habitat make a true dream come true for us as a family. And in the future, we're looking forward to having this beautiful house that was built. And we thank everyone who's like involved and have made it happen for us, truly. The Mohammeds, as well as Najiba Popal, have gone through Habitat's home ownership program, which has three criteria for eligibility. The household has to be in a less than desirable housing situation, willing to put in hours volunteering for Habitat during construction or some other task, and they have to be able to pay for an affordable mortgage. Here's Dan Rosenzweig, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville. Ramo and Salah and Najiba have been pedaling hard to get here. Uh, and they're not planning to stop anytime soon. They're planning to move forward with grace. Collectively, collectively they've put in more than 500 hours of sweat equity. And both families made it really clear to us after the requirements were done, after they purchased their homes, and after they've settled in, that they want to continue to move forward. They want to continue to pay it forward by volunteering with Habitat and helping other families achieve the blessings that they've achieved today. Papal says she's been working for six years to make her way through the process while also raising three children. She said there's been a lot of responsibility with becoming a Habitat homeowner. Because of my income, it is not some sort of stable. It is up and down. I had to focus on that as well. Popal said she enjoyed the time working on the house and contributing to other builds. No hard times will exist for, for all the time or for, for always. And really, I'm grateful for today, how hard it was or whatever it was. We did that, but it wasn't me. It was all a group of people, all the community, they worked together to make this moment. And I won't forget that. Rosenzweig noted that these homes are part of Habitat's intentional strategy to work with the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority and families who receive housing vouchers to open up other places to live. For instance, Popal had been on a housing voucher to help cover her rent at Kindlewood, which is operated by the Piedmont Housing Alliance. She's also a member of that entity's board of directors. And as the unfortunate situation in Market Street Park this month has shown us, we need more of that. We need more supportive housing. We need more spots where people can move into so that nobody in this community should ever have to spend a night outside. Popal agreed. Everyone deserves to have each little kids. Either they are refugee, they're immigrants, or they are citizens. They, they deserve to have a, a place to call home and sleep 
with no worries that where our next move will be. Thanks to Angela Guzman at Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville for providing me the audio so I could produce that story. End of 595. Now I've gone on and on about how I want to get other people involved in the production of this newsletter and podcast. I now have copy editors take a look at each one before they go out, and the audio version today features a soundbite from Jen Finazzo, who earns a shout-out for Fiori Floral Studio. There's a link in the newsletter. If you've not heard the podcast, well, what are you doing now? Because you know that most of the sound bites are in the voice of the people who said it. And of course, you know, uh, I do that really weird thing where I put the quotes through the sound machine. I like, I want more voices. I get tired of hearing mine. And if you'd like to be one of those voices, drop me a line. Now about contacting me, I don't say the uh, information here, mostly because it's just me. And uh, you can find me, just Google my name. I'm very easy to find should you want to. Thank you very much. My name is Frank Rizzo. Have a great day.